In Matthew's gospel, these are Jesus' last words to the church, to his people, before he ascends back to heaven. And just as a way of um, getting into what Jesus is saying here, let let me tell you about um, a lady called Barbara, who was a member of the church where I served as the vicar. Barbara was very, very keen on world mission. Whenever the, um, uh, the church budget came up for discussion on the church council, as it did year by year, Barbara was very keen that we not reduce the church's giving to world mission. In fact, she wanted to see it increased. And one time we decided as a church, I, this turned out to be a really great idea. You may do it here, other churches do. We decided to get together a little team of people from the church who would go out and visit one of our mission partners, one of the families that we supported by our prayers and by, uh, by some money. Um, we supported um, a family who lived in Tanzania in East Africa. And they were living in, a, I think, a fairly out-of-the-way place in Tanzania, trying to bring the message of Jesus to a Muslim people group, a small people group who lived on the coast of Tanzania. Um, a place with no mod cons, wasn't in a city, it was out in a rural area. And we said, who would like to go and spend two weeks with this family who we support in this out-of-the-way place in Tanzania? Now, I completely un- underestimated Barbara. I, she was a single lady in her 60s. It never occurred to me that she would want to go, but she was one of the first people to put up her hand and say, I want to go on the trip. Uh, and she went and I thought privately to myself this is how, how wrong I got her thinking I hope Barbara will be alright I hope she'll get on she came back she loved it she loved having spent two weeks seeing people telling people who don't know about Jesus all about Jesus and then she came back and she told people how wonderful it was and she was even more committed to our church giving money and praying for world mission. Barbara got what Jesus talks about here in these verses. She got it, didn't she? She lived a quiet life in a small town in the middle of England, but she got it. The end of Matthew's gospel is a world-focused passage. But a key thing I want all of us to get, I don't want anybody to miss this, what I want all of us to get is This is a world-focused passage in Matthew's Gospel because, first of all, it's a Jesus-focused passage. It's world-focused because it's Jesus-focused. These are the last words Jesus speaks in Matthew's Gospel. He's been raised from the dead. He's about to ascend to heaven to the right hand of his Father. And what he says in this passage... At its absolute simplest, what he says here in these verses is, he says, Jesus has authority, so I'm sending you out into the world empowered by Jesus. I have authority, so I'm sending you out into the world empowered by me. That's really simple. Is it? Jesus, us, Jesus. Jesus, us, Jesus. He's got something he tells us to do. He's sending us out. But what we do is, You see, it's kind of wrapped around, enveloped by Jesus 
and who he is and what he does. Jesus, us, Jesus. Let's, um, that's really simple, isn't it? Let's dig into that and let's follow that through. It starts with Jesus saying to his disciples, there in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I've now got all authority everywhere, he says. Do you hear that? All authority. All authority and everywhere in heaven and on earth. I mean, in heaven and on earth, that, I mean, that pretty much covers it, doesn't it? There is no square meter in the universe you could stumble into where Jesus does not already have all authority. He has got all authority everywhere. Now, he's saying, I've already said, he's saying this after he's been raised from the dead. And there's a particular thing he's saying about his authority here that I want to show you. Of course, even before he died and rose again, he had awesome authority, didn't he? You know, he was in a storm, it was raging. He said, be still, and instantly it was flat calm. There was a guy who died, Lazarus, and he was cold in his grave. And Jesus just says, Lazarus, come out. And he gets up and out he comes. Authority over nature, authority even over death. But now here in Matthew 28, verse 18, he's talking after he's died, after he's been raised from the dead, and he's talking about an even greater authority now he's been raised. All authority, he says, has been given to me. Given by who? Given right then by the Father when the Father raised him from the dead. Because we know, don't we, Jesus, he was stone cold dead in the grave and the Father raised him up. Why did the Father raise Jesus? Well, there's a few good answers to that. I mean, he... Was it just to show how pleased he was with Jesus? Well, yes, but more than that. One big reason the father raised Jesus was this. He did it to demonstrate that Jesus is the one he's appointed to have all authority to be the judge of every single person. Let me say that again. Jesus raised, the father raised Jesus from the dead to demonstrate that he's appointed just one man to have authority, to be the judge of the whole world. And the resurrection shows that God's saying that one man is Jesus. The, uh, you may know this, the Apostle Paul, he talked about this once when he was preaching in the city of Athens. It's written down for us in the book of Acts, chapter 17. Paul says, God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this to everyone. How? By raising him from the dead. We, we all like to think we've got authority in our lives, don't we? We try and, we try and you know, have authority over the little world that we live in. Maybe, you know, maybe if we've got kids, we think, I'm, I'm going to be a parent whose kids obey them. Other people's kids might not obey their My kids, they're going to obey me. I'm going to have authority. And then you go to the supermarket and on the way in, you say to the kids, right kids, in there, behave, okay? You see other kids kick, kicking off, I don't want you to do that. In there, you're going to behave. 
and then right there in the aisle they throw a tantrum and they're rolling around on the floor and people are staring and you think I don't even have authority over my own kids. I want to have authority. My authority doesn't even extend to the fruit and veg aisle in Asda. Jesus, he now has all authority over everyone, everywhere in heaven and on earth. Now, I've taken a good chunk of my time over this because it's so important. Because everything else Jesus says here, just, it just flows right from this. Because listen to what he says next. Remember Jesus asked Jesus, he moves from talking about himself now to what he has for us. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, verse 19, here's what follows. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. He has got all authority everywhere. So he tells us, his disciples, go make disciples everywhere. You're my disciples. Go make more disciples everywhere. Now just notice Jesus' words really carefully. Go and make what? Make, make churchgoers? No, not that. Of course, it's great to invite people to church. That may be a step along the way, but that's not the goal. Go and make people who take God a bit more seriously? Well, no, not that. That might be a step along the way, but that's not the goal. Go and make disciples. What's a disciple? Well, lots of ways you could define that, but that's what Jesus is talking about here. We don't have to guess. He really tells us. This is going to come quite quick, but I think it's helpful. Four things Jesus tells us here about what is a disciple? What is it we are to go and make? Verse 19. Make disciples, he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Spirit. Here's the first thing about a disciple. Baptized into the name of Father and Son and Spirit. Father, Son, Spirit. A disciple is someone who knows who God is because they've been taught who God is. No one knows God is Father, Son, Spirit unless someone comes and tells them. Second, disciples are baptized. See that little phrase? Baptizing them in the name of the Father. In the original language, in the Greek, it has the sense of into, into the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. There's a sense there of, of commitment coming into something, into God, into relationship with him. So a disciple, knowing who God is, knowing him, committed to him. Third thing about a disciple it's to do with the baptizing. You see, the baptizing them in the name of. What's baptism about? It's about repentance. You'll know this when, when an adult's baptized or a child's baptized, a question of asked of the person being baptized or of the parents. Do you turn from your sins? 
Do you turn to Christ? Yes, they say, I turn from my sins, I turn to Christ. It's about repentance. You see the picture of a disciple Jesus is painting here? Knowing God, committed to God, repenting of their sins. And then fourth, last little bit of the picture of a disciple here, verse 20, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Obeying Christ, making that the goal, the aspiration of your life from today for all the days that the Lord gives you. So here's Jesus' portrait of a disciple. Taught about God, knows who God is. Don't just know about him, they're committed to him. As they commit to him, they repent. They turn away from sin, they turn to him. And the goal and aspiration of their life now, if Jesus says it, I'll believe it. If Jesus commands it, I'll do it. That's the glorious picture of a disciple that Jesus paints here. Go, he says, go and make these. Go make disciples. Once when, um, when I, that vicar of the church, the church I was vicar about, I, uh, vicar of I told you about up in Hinckley, one time when I was vicar there, we spent a bit of time on the church council, sort of assessing our church life the activities we ran, the things we spent our money on, what we prayed for. I'm sure you do that from time to time. Every church will come round to that from time to time. And the question we wanted to ask was, this activity we're doing, is it focused on some aspect of making disciples? Is it really? This thing we're spending our money on, in some way, is it one step along the way to people becoming disciples? Is it really? The things we pray for, how much of our time is really spent on praying that through us the Lord will make disciples? Those are good questions to ask, aren't they? So that other things don't fill our time rather than what Jesus says here. And sometimes that'll lead to tough choices. The, um, The church I'm a member of, the church council recently had a review and there was a big activity that the church had done for a long time. A lot of money had gone into it and people were involved in it and the church council took the decision in their view, seemed right to many of us. It wasn't really about making disciples. So they decided it was time for that activity to end because it wasn't in line with what Jesus commissions his church for here. Jesus has all authority. He commissions his disciples to go make disciples. And because he has all authority everywhere, it's kind of a no-brainer, isn't it? He commissions his people to make disciples everywhere. We've already heard how he says that. It's written up on the, on the board here in verse 19. Go and make disciples of all nations. Now, there's something I need to explain. When Jesus says he go make disciples of all nations, he means all nations. Like every single one. None excluded. All of them. All authority means all nations. 
I, I'm going to ask you a question now. I, I had to look this up. I didn't know the answer to this, okay? I'd be interested to know if anybody does. I looked this up. If you drew up a list of countries in, in the world in alphabetical order from A to Z, first on the list, first of the A's, anybody guess or no? Nearly, not quite. There's one just before it. Afghanistan. Afghanistan. And then bottom of the alphabetical list, the last of the Zs, Zimbabwe. Afghanistan to Zimbabwe. Jesus says, go and make disciples in Afghanistan, in Zimbabwe, and in every single country and nation in between. And I just want to encourage you how wonderful it is when Christians, when a church, keep in view the front of our minds, the front of our praying, the front of our giving, the front of our activity. This simple thing Jesus says here, disciples everywhere, disciples of all nations. It's just a couple of things, a couple of things that help me, they may help you. Say you hear about a country in the news. I mean, take Iran right now. We wonderfully heard someone say, I, I'm from Iran and I'm a Christian. We all know, don't we? Just awful stories coming out of Iran right now of what's going on there. Say you heard that on the news and say you went and Googled Christians in Iran. You may already know this. You'd find there is so much there to encourage us. I'm not sure anybody knows the exact, exact statistics, but you'd find that around 40 years ago, there was a very small number of Christians in Iran. Now, according to what I read at least, it's estimated that there are between 1 million and 3 million Christians in Iran. And as I meet pastors of churches around the country, I hear again and again people saying, I'm finding Iranian people who are refugees here are coming to our church and they are becoming Christians. I'm hearing about Bible studies in Farsi happening in church after church after church all over Britain. It's extraordinary. So, see what happened? You heard a news story about a country. You Googled Christians in Iran. You heard things that really brought joy to your heart. You are so much more likely to pray now, aren't you? And when you're praying, what's happening? You are part of God's people in Iran, making more disciples in Iran. Something else that helps me feel part of being, that I am part of God's people. I live my, if I live in my little corner in North London, but something that makes me feel part of God's people who are making disciples of all nations. There's a lady called Margaret, who went out from our church in Cockfosters a few years ago to Japan. And she lives in a city in Japan and she's got a heart for students in Japan. And she lives in this student city. She's trying to bring the gospel of Jesus to the students there. Now we all know Japan is quite a comfortable place to live materially, it's quite a rich country. But for Christians, Japan is really hard. There may be many people coming to Christ in Iran that's not happening in Japan. It's incredibly hard work. She works away and works away and works away and there isn't much fruit to see. But Margaret is one tough cookie and she's there and I think she's committed to stay there. Why? 
because Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, and he put Japan on her heart, and so she went. And when Margaret was back last time, we had a round to us for, uh, for a meal after church, and we heard her stories of the joys and of the struggles, and what life is like for her in Japan. And so now when I think of her and when I pray for her, I can picture her, I can picture the story from the story she's told. I'm just now much more likely, aren't I, to, to pray for Margaret, to pray for the student she's trying to reach with the gospel. And in that small way, in my little corner of North London, I am part of Margaret having gone to all nations. Jesus has authority everywhere. He sends his disciples everywhere. And just a final thought as I close. I said that this passage went, Jesus, us, Jesus. He has all authority. He sends disciples to make disciples everywhere. But he ends, doesn't he, talking about himself again. The very last line, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Why does he say that? Well, back in verse 17, when the disciples come to him, it says that some of them doubted. And we don't really know exactly why they were doubting. Did some of them doubt that he really was alive? Maybe, this would be my hunch, what they're doubting, some of them, is that they've really got a future serving him. I mean, after all, some of them have just denied him. A lot of them, when they knew he was in trouble, they ran away because they didn't want to be in trouble. And now here he is and they're coming to him and they're wondering what he's going to do with them. That can be us, can't it? Doubtful when Jesus says that the church is to make disciples everywhere. Doubtful that he's got the power to make that happen. Doubtful that we people like us could ever play a useful role in such a grand task. So he reassures us, surely I am with you always. You want to make disciples of your neighbours? It's a daunting task. Jesus says, I am with you always. Margaret's called by the Lord to go to Japan where it's really tough to be a missionary. The Lord says, I'm with you there always. I'm sitting in North London praying for her all the way over there. The Lord says, as you pray for her, I'm with you always. I have all authority, he says. I send my people to all nations and I am with you always. Let me just leave a moment of quiet. I don't, know, I don't know how the Spirit has taken this word and applied it to you. Maybe you've got a growing heart for your own neighbours or work colleagues or the people you live with to bring Jesus to them. Maybe it's thinking of someone overseas you know. Maybe it's thinking of what we heard about Central Asia, whatever it is. Let me leave you a moment of quiet to pray and then I'll close with a prayer for all of us. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, we praise you that in these words you, you lift our eyes and you give us a bigger vision of who we know really that you are but can easily forget. You have all authority. Send us out, we pray, empowered by you to make disciples everywhere. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.